Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are French football experts Rich Allen and Jeremy Smith. Feels a little bit like an invasion, but alas, it's nice to see you nice. Uh, you, you bet it was a great weekend of Liga action with good game, good games all over the place. The price looks just about right for PSG's new starlet, and haven't Saint-Étienne done well? And if you play your cards right... You could have a corker like we saw on Saturday in Lyon, but look into that and more, including your questions after the latest headlines. Pointless Mets kicked off us off on Friday night as they hosted Monaco, and while they put in a trying effort, they were eventually overthrown by the champions 1-0, who remain perfect on the season. On Saturday evening, we were treated to a 3-3 spectacle in Lyon as Bordeaux came from two goals down. The hosts had Sergei Dardier sent off in the first half and have a goal of the season contender in Nabil Fakir's long-range effort, but Malcolm's second in injury time earned a point for Legrand Girondin. In the multiplex, Saint-Étienne maintained their winning start with a 3-0 win over Amiens, which included a double from Brian Darbell while Nice earned their first three points of the season with a tuna win over Gangomp. Claudio Ranieri oversaw his first win as Nantes manager as his side won at Troyes, 1-0, while Daniel Congre saved Montpellier as they scraped a one-all draw at home to Strasbourg. Ren rounded off the action with a 2-2 draw against Dijon with Julio Tavares's late penalty, cancelling out Fermi Mubele's brace. On Sunday, Marcelo Bielsa's Lille stuttered again with a 2-0 defeat at home to Caen, while Marseille dropped points for the first time as they drew one all against Angers. In the late evening match, Neymar was on show again as the Brazilian scored twice and created another two in his side's 6-2 victory over Toulouse. Max Langradel scored his um, first goal back in Liga uh, to open the scoring, but despite that and a Marco Verratti red card, Unai Emery's men cruised to the top of the table. And that's the news. But remember, to keep up with everything French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week again with Paris Saint-Germain, and why not? The Parisians shined again in Neymar's home debut, putting Toulouse to the sword in pretty emphatic fashion, Rich. Um, what did you make of Unai Emery's side on Sunday evening? Um, uh, it was obviously, a, well, by and large, a great performance. Um, as we saw with the uh, the game at Gangon weekend previous, it took a slightly fortuitous goal for for uh, for PSG to get going, this time they've they've fallen behind in in the game against uh, Toulouse, but it took a uh, yeah, as I say, fortunate goal with uh, with Neymar pouncing on the on the the um, Rabiot parried shot. But I think once once they got back in the game, it never really looked in doubt. Maybe the scoreline was a little harsh on on Toulouse, but it was a a very Emphatic performance, I suppose, from from PSG. Neymar was just sensational. Some of the the tricks he was pulling out were just baffling at times. Let alone for what the what the Toulouse defenders must have been feeling like. The uh, the Kazawa goal was just ludicrous. <laughs> I mean, the the vision from from Neymar to pick him out with the corner. Um, 
you know, not great defending from Toulouse, but superb vision. You know, when, when there's a camera angle from just behind Neymar, he's taking the corner, and it's just an unbelievable pass when you see it from from that angle. Unbelievable! It helps by a superb finish from Kozawa, not a not an easy. It was a real show-stopping kind of performance, I think. I think there's still tweaks that need to be made with this sluggish in the opening hole, but with Neymar, they can just unlock any, any time. So it was a it was a real performance from PSG by and large. We'll bring you into this, Jez, and welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Let's Let's talk about Neymar again. I mean... He scored two, he assisted two in this one. And again, him in that sort of free role he's almost given on that left-hand side just really gives him a chance to shine in this Paris Saint-Germain side, doesn't it? Uh, he's just he's just a fantastic player. And I think what's one of the things that's great about him is there's, there's all the tricks, but they're not showboating just for the sake of it, you know, apart from maybe the sort of sombrero where he flicked it over his own head at one point. Generally, everything he's doing, he's doing for a reason. And he does it at such speed as well. that um, You know, they're not, they're, you know, superb defense splitting passes in their own right, but they're done at just a crazy pace that doesn't give any defense a chance to get back into position. And just as, as Rich said, the vision for the corner, you know, I usually think it's a bit silly when someone gets an assist for a corner, but in, in this case, it clearly was uh, an assist. It was, uh, you know, a pass directly to the intended person and it worked perfectly. I think the goal at the end was brilliant, but a little bit lucky as well. I think you can sort of give the defence a bit of sort of discredit for that. But just on the whole, he he it's a cliche to say you'd pay the entrance fee just to see him play, but you really would. And it's the way he lifts all his teammates as well. I mean, Rabio started last season well and then sort of really fell away, but I thought yesterday he was fantastic. And I think a lot of it is, is about Neymar. You know, the first two goals they combined together. The first one was a tap in for Neymar, but you know, of, there were there must have been a good sort of dozen players in the area, and he was the only one sort of bright enough to to make space for himself to to sort of find the follow up after Rabiot's shot was parried. The second one was a was a nice one too between Rabiot and Neymar, and you know possibly maybe that's the the true mark of how great he is that um, the way he plays, the space he he creates, um, both in terms of what he does with the ball, but also obviously distracting the other team because inevitably they're going to sort of follow him. He he gives space for other players to to be able to perform at their highest level as well. Yeah, and, and talking on Adrian Rabio, I mean, rich in the week, obviously Blaise Matuidi has joined Juventus, and there was a nice little tribute from Neymar in his first goal with the Cholo celebration made famous by the Frenchman, but. There's more pressure on Rabiot this season to continue that form he showed last campaign where he really stood out, especially in that first half of the season. But again, last night, this was how good the Frenchman can be, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. I, I think what Jez was touching on there with, with Neymar raising the game of, of, his, of his colleagues, there's a noticeable excitement, especially with some of the, the slightly younger players in the, in the squad. There seems to be this notable excitement that they're on the same pitch. 
you know, playing in the same team as this, you know, top three player in the world in Neymar. Um, you know, they know that if they make a run, chances are he'll find them. They know that if they've got the ball, he'll be making a run. He'll be creating space so that they can make that pass to him. So it's it's going to have such a positive impact on so many players, but especially on the likes of Rabiot. Um, Matuidi going, I think, brings about a little bit more pressure, but also eases some pressure on Rabiot. I think there's going to be, you know, he'll, he's going to get more game time. Um, there's no doubt about that. But, of course, then with that, then comes more responsibility on him. Um, you know, he's he's been this this breakout player for what seems like a number of years now. This is the season, I think, that he really has to grasp that opportunity of he will play, you know, 90% of, of PSG's league earned games. He'll probably play a good, solid number of, of European games as well. He really does now need to make his mark so that PSG can move forward with him and perhaps in PSG's mind, Verratti as well, as their key anchors in this side. They're going to have all the, the luxury players to take them forward, but really I think the, the likes of Rabiot, the likes of, of Verratti are going to be the key players to keep things really solid, to allow all this sort of glamour play um, sort of break out in front of them. Yeah, and another interesting point really from the attacking end at PSG, Jez, was when Pastore came on in the second half. Yes, it was relatively close to the Verratti sending off. And also the form of Di Maria, who we mentioned last week, seemed to struggle in this new kind of formation, at least anyway, the way that the movement is of those front three at the moment. He really wasn't as involved and he struggled again a little bit last night. And, and Pastore really added a bit of an injection. Could that be something they look at in the future of maybe starting the well, the younger Argentinian over the one that they, may, they might be even pushing out of the door? Um, I, th I think there's going to have to be some big decisions and a, a few big egos put out because it's, it's really difficult to see how and where all of these top players are going to fit in. I mean, Verratti probably didn't do himself too many favours yesterday with um, the sending off... I think the, the second bushing, booking was harsh, but it was probably a stupid challenge to go in with considering he was on a booking. And the first one I actually thought arguably deserved a, a red by itself. Um, possibly him being suspended is a good opportunity for Pastore because I still think Pastore is infinitely better playing in the centre than on the wing. Um, Di Maria, he's such a strange sort of enigmatic player on his day could be fantastic but he kind of goes into these moods that last months and you know last year I don't think it was a coincidence that he suddenly found some form again once Draxler came in and started playing well um, so you'd think maybe as a reaction to Neymar possibly he'd be going up a gear but I don't think he's necessarily shown anything yet this season so you know, if the rumours about FFP and the need to get rid of some of these players are true, you'd ex be expecting Di Maria to kind of really start putting a shift in. Um, Pastore, I think he's probably unsellable because I think the fans just adore him. And, you know, by all accounts, he was quite annoyed that he was left out of the starting lineup yesterday. And when he came on, although, you know, they, were, they already had the lead, um, you know, he made sure of it with a with a fantastic finish as well. 
and also showed some great touches. I think if, I mean, if Pastore and Neymar start developing a good relationship, that's going to be a frightening, but also absolutely beautiful to watch. Yeah, it just scares the life out of me for anyone else who's in those defences, especially in French football. But yeah, when yeah. you start mixing in, Draxler came on as well late on, but he has to fit into this equation. Lucas is a good friend of Neymar. Is he going to stay? Is he going to possibly even start? I doubt it, but there's a lot of names to fit into one role at the moment, really, for them. But again, Rich, they conceded two. They conceded an early goal as well, an excellent finish from Max Langradell and then... Uh, Julian uh, Julian scored the uh, header in the second half. Is there still some defensive worries for you? They obviously started Kimpembe instead of Marquinhos in this one as well. Do they still need more in those defensive areas? I think they need a bit more cover. I think when you know they've got three effectively recognised um, centre backs, they definitely need a bit more cover there, especially going into the by by their well, their hopes anyway will be a long and successful run in Europe. Um, I'm, one of, <laughs> I'm one of the select band of people that actually believe that the best centre-back pairing for PSG is Kimpembe and Marquinhos. Um, I think Thiago Silva is not the player he once was. Um, perhaps brings a little bit of leadership um, to the team, but arguably that leadership can be found elsewhere in the, in the squad. Um, uh, and you know, whenever Kimpembe and Marquinhos have played together, they've looked solid, they've looked athletic, they've looked agile, they've looked, um, you know, like they've got years and years more experience than they actually have. But they definitely need to strengthen there. Um, certainly need to perhaps look at um, another more defensively minded midfielder. Um, I've spoken on previous shows of my displeasure at seeing Thiago Motta still part of this PSG outfit. So I still think they need to recruit some people there. Um, I think they're probably okay now fullback wise. Um, I think they've got, you know, a couple of, couple of players for, uh, for both of those. So uh, there's, there's areas that they need to improve on. Definitely. There's areas they need to strengthen. Definitely. Um, whether they will, whether that's the focus, whether, you know, are they the, the, the sort of glamorous positions that this free, freer, still spending PSG are going to want to spend the money on? It remains to be seen. You know, Seri is still linked, Fabinho is still linked for those midfield positions. There's not a lot of, um, you know, real, real top-level centre-backs that they've been linked to, but it's, it's certainly a couple of areas that they need to look at. Yeah, and Sky Italia are just claiming as well that PSG are close to agreeing a 140 million euro plus Lucas Moura bid for Kylian Mbappe that might also include Fabinho and go up to about 220 million euros. Where are they getting this cash from? I don't know. They must be feeling down the sofas and getting every penny they can. Um, let's talk about Toulouse quickly, Jez. And they went with a 4 4 2 in this game, and they really struggled at times, especially with a play in between those lines. Was it a little bit too gung-ho of an approach from Pascal Duprat, given the level of opponent? Yes, it, it succeeded to some extent last season against them, but surely this was too much of a risk in this game. I think before the match, he gave a sort of reasonably amusing 
press conference where he said, you know, we're going to park the bus. What's the point of going to PSG and parking it behind the goal? Of course, we're going to park it in front of the goal. And then basically, we're going to rely on God's help. Um, there was always a bit of kidology to that. But I think, you know, you have to remember between before that it was only three goals in the last eight minutes that really gave it um, uh, kind of the impression of, a, of an absolute slaughtering. I mean, obviously PSG were in top, but uh, were on top the whole match. But Toulouse, I think, played a, a big part in what was a very entertaining match. And you know, once Julien got that that second goal, you never know what's going to happen in the last twelve minutes. And arguably, it was sort of pushing for potential equaliser that, that left them a little bit more open at the back. So, but. From a neutral point of view, I think you have to give Toulouse credit for that. I mean, if if I was depressed, the first thing I would have done was I'd have named Karuzak on my starting lineup and told him to, you know, go straight through Neymar as early as possible. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think possibly you could argue it was naive of them, but I suppose, you know, the chances were. You know, nine times out of ten, whatever formation, however defensively they play, P- PSG would be ex- be expected to come out on top. So you know, why not give it a go and go down fighting? Yeah, I can I can always give credit to that. They they did really go for it, but I just felt like Toivonen especially really struggled to get himself into the game a little bit. And with their good defence last season, they've got some great young centre backs. Yeah, maybe with Kawasaki in there as well, maybe they could have fallen off a little bit better. Uh, it's a tough one. It's always a tough one when you're expected to lose those kind of games. But credit to them for taking a part in what was a really terrific game on, on Sunday night. But let's talk about another unbeaten side. And there's only one outside of PSG and Monaco now, and that's Saint-Étienne, surprisingly enough, who've quietly started superbly under new man uh, Oscar Garcia. I'll, I'll give this one to you first, Jezza. How different does this side look, just with a fresh set of ideas after the sort of stagnation under Galtier? Um, just everything looks fresher. I mean, it's not a massively overhauled team, but it just looks like they're, they're sort of, they've been given license to, to well, to attack, basically, um, which I'm not, I'm not sure they had too much um, freedom to do beforehand. Um, I think it helps that Humuma's fit. Um, he seems to have spent a lot of the last couple of years either out injured or carrying knocks. I think that helps. I think they're sort of reaping the benefit of um, Bamba's loan period at Angers the second half of last year. Um, where I think he really impressed and he's sort of carried on that good form this year. So they've got a couple of exciting wide players. Um, I like their their midfield. I think um, I've never been a, a fan of Pajot. I think he's just an anti-footballer. I don't think he's capable of doing anything with the ball. I think he's just a spoiler, which um, has its merits, but um, I don't think it adds too much to the team going forwards. But I really like Selnaes. I think do you say is, you know, as opposed to Pajor, he's he's the type that, you know, huge amount of energy, you can do it all. You can definitely see him being a really influential box to box player this year. Um and Dabo has been completely reborn after sort of clearly not getting on with Galtier at all last year. So I think the whole sort of mid the midfield three and the two wingers have definitely got a lease of life and although he only 
he made his debut yesterday um or first league appearance Dioni was i thought well you know as possibly debatable as the first penalty was it was his speed and trickery that that caused the two penalties that led to the first two goals um i think he's going to be you know when you, you look at the type of strikers that they've been generally starting with the last couple or since Obama Young left, people like Beric and Rue, Dioni's a completely different player who poses a completely different set of problems for opposition defences. Um, and again, it's just a more entertaining type of football to watch. And I think that probably transmits across the whole team and sets a good tone for them. Yeah, I wanted to focus on the player Jez briefly mentioned there of being reborn, Rich, and that's Brian Darbo. I mean, we we knew how good he was back at his spell at Montpellier, but it never really worked out for him last season at Saint-Étienne. He struggled for form, he struggled to to really settle into the side, and then he fell out of the team under Galtier and had a couple of issues with the manager as well. How is How impressive has his run been in this last couple of games where he seems to have given, been unshackled almost under Garcia? Um, it's been great to see, uh, as you say. You know, he was a terrific, terrific player at Montpellier. We thought the move to Saint Etienne would sort of continue that growth, continue that development, uh, allow him to blossom. Uh, Gautier then didn't perhaps see that as a as a as an outcome for the player, and has seemingly, reportedly, anyway, banished numerous times to the reserves, being told you know you'll never play for the club again. And, He'll be sold if it was up to me, and all these stories that come out about uh, his relationship with Galtier. So it's it's great to see him back in the starting lineup. It's great to see him back in in you know sort of Montpellier esque form. Um, he is a bit of a utility player, and as with utility players, that can often be a bit of a downfall. Where exactly is their best position? You know, can they get game time regularly? Um, you know, in in that best position. Um, you know, he's been brought into the midfield. He's been allowed to, to almost boss that midfield, runs forward, covering at the back. Um, you know, he's been, it's been really, really encouraging to see a player like this be given, be given a second opportunity. Um, and as, you know, he sort of is the epitome of, of this new look Saint-Étienne, you know, sort of refreshing to see um, people expected this season. Um, and yeah, he's he he sums it up on of this new Santetian that just been let off. Like it seems that Galtier had kept them on for a number of recent seasons. Yeah, and that, I'll, I'm glad you both pointed out that midfield as well because it had really stagnated under under Galtier for me. You've mentioned Pajot already, Jezny. He, he was a symptom of it, but when you look at Lemoine and other players of that ilk. Um, co-ad for a for a brief time as well. They were all at least under under Galtier's spell. Negative. Um, they were defensive. They would hold their position a lot. And the difference, all of a sudden, that the fact that even Selner's last season was unimpressive simply because he was held back a little bit. But now you've added Darbo into there that it starts to find positions just behind the attacking players to add to those moves. Diouisse seems to be everywhere on the field all the time and adding little bits and pieces everywhere. They all of a sudden look fresher. Hamuma's not playing as a centre-forward anymore. That's a nice change of pace. And the, I wanted to bring back to one of the players you briefly mentioned who 
had a really nice loan spell. And that uh, Andre you mentioned, Jez, and that's uh, Jonathan Bamber. He started all three of the games, started the first two up front in, in the place of Dione and played further out wide in this one. He scored a couple of goals. He's been really impressive. He's the kind of injection they needed, isn't he? I, I, to be honest, I, I don't understand why there was so much fuss about Pepe in the summer and so so little attention paid to the Bamba. I mean, there's a good chance that it was clear right from the start that he wasn't for sale. But I, I think, you know, in a comparison between those two players of relatively similar profiles at Angers last year, you know, two young, speedy wingers, I think um, Bamba was, to me, was a class above Pepe. Um, I think he, he shows a lot of composure. I think he's um, a lot more clinical. You know, even the fact that he stepped up to to take that the first penalty at the weekend shows, you know, that he's, um, you know, he's prepared to to take his responsibilities. And uh, I I think he's, yeah, he's he's impressed. You know, both last year and and this year so far. And just very quickly on Saint-Étienne, Rich, it's, it's a tough one next week at least. They play Friday night game against Paris Saint-Germain. It couldn't really be more trickier for them to try and keep that perfect record. But it's not going to be an easy one for PSG either. You'll have your eyes glued to that one, don't you? Do you think Saint-Étienne might have a chance of maybe causing an upset, maybe nicking a draw from the, from the Parc des Princes? I think they absolutely do. I think they can look at the way... Um, Toulouse sort of took the game almost to PSG certainly in the first half an hour um, I think they can look at the way that the, the Gangon set up um, and frustrated PSG for, for quite a while in their game and to an extent even even the way that Amiens performed in the opening game um, this, is, this is a completely different Saint-Étienne to previous seasons um, PSG have a little bit of a a hoodoo, if you like, over Saint-Étienne, it seems that, you know, they, they love to score against them. Um, you know, Ruffier, it's a well-known thing that he's, you know, he must have Ibrahimovic uh, nightmares even still. But this, this is a this is a new Saint-Étienne side. So PSG are not going to be used to coming up against the Saint-Étienne side who will be looking to get out on the front foot. Saint-Étienne under Gautier were very much, we're going to come out not to concede. This Saint-Étienne side now is we're going to come out and we're going to score. It's also it's also a nice coincidence that they've not they've not conceded either. Um, but it's going to be a, it's, it should and I'm really hoping it's going to be an absolutely fantastic game. You've got your PSG banging goal scoring form. You've got Saint-Étienne. You know new faces, fresh faces. Uh, you know, a, a bold new strategy under Garcia. Uh, it's it. It's going to be a great game. Yeah, and when I'd you... start with Pajo and tell him to take Neymar out in the first minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you have a vendetta over him always, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm starting to think that a, a Bamba Dioni uh, Hamuma counter attack against Paris Saint Germain with maybe Thiago Silva in there. You've caught Kazawa too far up the field. Dani Alves is. Not an expert in being slightly more reserved, at least. They, they might cause some problems on the counter. If they can play their classic card of defensive work back, they've still got those excellent defenders. They've got a, half a chance. But I, I do want to touch on Amiens, who's the side who they beat on a Saturday. Um, Jez, it's three games, three defeats against some tough sides, but no goals at all. So, Is there some real worries building? 
Yeah, I, th I think there's got to be. I mean, it's, you know, all credit to them for two sort of quick fire promotions. But obviously the problem with that is that you're still playing with a lot of, of players who not say they're, they're sort of national level players, but it's a big step up for anyone to make. Um, and I just, I feel that there really isn't enough quality in there for them to, um, to make a fight of it. I hope they do, but you just feel like by the time they've acclimatized to this new level, it might, they might already be, be cut adrift. But I, I felt a little sorry for them the other day because I, th I think they did play some nice stuff and, and Dombele hit the, hit the woodwork twice. Uh, the second one would have, I think both of them, the first one was possibly a cross, I'm not sure, but it would have been a spectacular goal. And the second one would have been, you know, right up there with the other brilliant goals scored this weekend. So he was a little unlucky. And, you know, if one or both of them had gone in, it would have um, given us a chance to, to see even more ahead of next week what Saint-Etienne are really made of. Um, I think... I think that's probably going to be how they'll do for a lot of the year. They'll they'll sort of win friends. They'll they'll play some nice football and go for it. But I just don't think they've quite got the quality. I just hope they have that nice uh, Gazalek sort of moment of the of maybe having a hit, glint of hope sort of around the winter period where they nick a couple of results. But yeah, it's already looking a little bit bleak for the uh, for the side that's been promoted twice. But let's move on to. A great game on uh, the early Saturday evening match in Liga. And if you tuned in, you had a little bit of a treat, really. Six goals, some absolute brilliant finishes, and two sides that will be looking to be at the right end of the table by the end of the season, Rich. It was a pretty crazy affair. What did you make to things in that 3-3 draw? Um, I, I didn't expect a 3-3 draw, first and <laughs> foremost. Um, it, was a, it was, as you say, it was an excellent game. Um three arguably four standout goals that would you know stand up against anything as as goal of the month contenders um malcolm's last minute well injury time equalizer um being an absolutely wonderful finish but everyone's going to love to look at that fekir goal um from pretty much the halfway line um i think there was the stat that came out that it was the second longest it was, the, it was the longest since Saber Khalifa's for uh, uh, Evian v Nice a few years ago. Um, I mean, it, amazing finish. I mean, he pretty much side-footed it. Yeah. What it I liked about like it is that it wasn't a lob. It was a. It was like that. Is it for Gueras for? Figueroa for, for yeah. Wigan. It was. It It wasn't spot the keeper off his line, hoof it up, and hope it goes in. It sort of. You know the trajectory. It was kind of went into the top corner and was going there the whole way. If you know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah, it was a lovely strike. I, I always quite like that. People don't seem to notice that Costiel's being the sweeper keeper style. He is. He does sit off his line quite often, and I'm, I'm actually surprised he's not been caught out more often for those kind of things. But let's talk about those. Well, Fakir first of all. I mean, that goal, Rich. Did it make you feel a little bit like it did me that I can finally say that maybe Fakir's back? Yeah, exactly. That was the thing. Um, you know, gradually, I think every game—I say every game—it's only been—it's only been three games this season. But each game, Fakir has progressively got better and better. Um, I think 
hindsight now, three games in, giving him the captaincy has proven to be a great decision. I did worry about it to begin with. You know, bear in mind he he still was suffering last season with the effects of that that long term injury the season before. Was handing the captaincy the right thing to do with a Leon that was a Leon side in transition after having lost their sort of three key players in the summer. I think so far Genesio has been completely vindicated in this in his decision. I think Fekir has thrived in that role. Um, I think it's helped by having a, a, an effective front three in front of him. Um, Traore, Depay and um, Diaz. Mariana Diaz have, have, have all impressed in the opening games as well. So that's helped him. Um, but he's he's seemingly loving that. He's loving his his, uh, his football again. So it's, it's really, really good to see because I really worried last season that that injury was going to knock progress of a player who before that injury you know we were talking in as, as arguably one of the best of his of his age group in in Europe um it was a such an unfortunate injury at such an unfortunate time yeah I had big worries last season that he would never get to the levels that he could have got to had he not been injured so it's really really good to see really it's a real if you like to see him getting back very close to that that best form. Yeah, and I wanted to go to you, Jez, on another one of those four. I mean, we've we've mentioned Fakir relatively often. Depay and Diaz have been mentioned for their successes in recent weeks, but Bertrand Traore finally got off the mark this week with a super free kick. Um, what do you think he brings to this side and, and adds to those attacking areas where? Maxwell Cornet maybe is a bit more of a bench player now, and they've obviously lost Lacazette in the summer. Does he add an extra uh, dimension to this new front line? I think he does because I th- I think he's uh, he's probably best as a as a kind of tricky winger. I think he's got the speed, he's got all the tricks. I think he'll probably quickly become a, a cult hero um, at the Park OL, um or whatever weird commercial name it's got now. Um, <laughs> And but as well as that, I mean, he is a he is a very good goal scorer, as Leon sort of found to to their cost last year, and and hopefully will will reap the benefits of this year. And that free kick, I mean, in any other match we'd be raving about it, and it was probably only the the third best goal in that match. But it, it was a fantastic free kick. And what I, li- I liked about sort of touching on Fekir and Traore, apparently, you know, you'd you'd expect like you know favoring left footers Fekir to kind of um assert his authority and say well you know i'm captain i'm taking this one apparently he said to Traore, do you fancy it Traore said well let me place it and see if i reckon i can get a shot away had a look said yeah give it to me and <laughs> top corner <laughs> um so I, I think you know for leon fans that bodes well in terms of um sort of spirit and communication within the team and also in terms of the ability and the confidence that that Traore's got so I, th- I think he's settling really well and then you know the start that he and Diaz made have, have made as well as for kid I'd have thought beyond most Leon fans um wildest dreams is maybe a bit extreme but they must have thought it would take a little longer for for um you know a, a pretty revamped forward line to, to gel but they seem to have hit the ground running 
Mm, it's nice to see, really. Final point on at least Leon, uh, Rich. That Sergio Dada red card in the first half, the first yellow is pretty pretty obvious. But the second one, a little bit harsh. Um, it goes back to that Verratti one, I think. It's, it's yes, a bit harsh, but you don't go making those silly mistakes when you're on a when you're on a yellow especially so soon after picking up a yellow as well so yes maybe a little harsh but you, you've got to be a bit cleverer you know two and a bit minutes after picking up a booking it's 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 a silly mistake to make for a player who leon leon need him you know they they, they do they you know him and um, Tussar are sort of those anchor players in midfield. You know, they, they need him. I've certainly heard of, of rumours that he's not 100% happy. You know, this, this is not the way to ingratiate yourself back into the team. Yeah, and with Ferry behind him, and he's he's sort of in and out of the team, and he's maybe looking for a way out. There's not much cover there as well with gone along gone. It might be a bit of a tricky one. They might have to maybe dip into the youth ranks if they don't find another before the end of that transfer window. How about Bordeaux, Jez? I mean, the big one that gets the headlines really is Malcolm and he was excellent again there. How important is it they keep him? And there's there's been rumours of a number of clubs sniffing around him. He's vital to any success they have this season, isn't he? I think it's crucial they do. I think already we saw last year what an important player he is for them and over the course of the year and already the start of this one, he's you know, I think he's probably gone up um, um, a good couple of levels and yeah I think that um, there's I think he was possibly a little bit unsettled and apparently Gouvenek said post-match that he thinks he's convinced him now that it would do him good to stay one more year and then I think he's probably pretty much said we'll let you go next summer if you put in a good shift this this year um, and I think there's going to be a lot of responsibility on him not only to create but probably also to finish because do you feel that possibly Bordeaux's weakest point is sort of centre forward? Um, I, know I, I like Mendy, but I like Bob, but I don't know if they're, you know, with with a lot of competition within Ligue 1 this year, I'm not sure if they're a little bit behind some of their, their rivals in terms of um, goal scoring. So I think, yeah, Malcolm's going to be absolutely crucial to them this year. Yeah, and especially with Laborde, he's really struggled in those first couple of games, which is probably why he started on the bench against Leon. But I do want to mention quickly about Malcolm. What I really loved about him um, this weekend that I saw um, on the cameras pick up that you don't always see when he was celebrating that first goal that got them back into the game, really, just before half-time, is he scored a pretty obviously deflected goal, but he's celebrating it nicely. But he's looking at every single player that's running towards him and doing the sort of come on, focus, let's get back ourselves into this game. And for a young player to do that and and sort of take up that sort of responsibility on himself, as he did in those final moments to score an absolute wonder goal, um, it's <laughs> it's crazy that we had three in one game and, and one will always get the headlines. But he's really a special talent, really, for that team. They need to keep hold of him if they want to face, well, head towards those European things. But that little glimpse of the attitude he seems to have, at least on the pitch, um, was really positive, I think, and something they should take forward. Um, what do you think, Rich, about that performance? I mean, they've come back from a from two goals, well, two goals down at a point, but they were against ten men for a long period of time. 
There was some moments where I thought Tulalan looked very slow and they're still playing at the centre-back. There's still worries there. Are they European contenders? Um, I still think they have. Um, it would be nice to see a couple more additions before the transfer window closes. As Jez said, centre-forward, I think, is a position. Um and missed during his time but I've seen um, Enzo Crivelli as part of this time. You know, with 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 Malcolm on form, with the likes of Cameron, with sort of sent up front this season, I wish he'd have perhaps been given a little more opportunity. He's got a bit of a temperament problem. I mean, we've we've seen some pretty petulant red cards from him the last few seasons, but there were glimpses at, at when he was on loan at Bastia of, of what he can offer. And I was just hoping that uh, Gorvanek was going to have given him a, you know, given him a bit of a chance under his own, um, you know, managerial position. Um, sadly, wasn't meant to be. It does then leave them a little bit light up front, so they definitely do need to to. Um, bring players in there, and and yeah, as you say, the likes of Toulon, you know, huge experience, the experience and the know-how that can be brought from a player like him and passed on to those youngsters is terrific. Yeah, um, they just need a little bit more. Frank, as they used to be. So there's there's one or two areas I'd like to see them recruit. They might just have enough quality to strike the top six. One or two um, fresher faces, I think, and they prod there. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I found interrupted you there on your return. The connection's a little bit poor from your end at the moment, but we'll move on to the Liga snapshots at least. And that's well, my favourite time of the week anyway to talk about those bits we might have missed. And I'll start with you, Jez. What's a highlight we've missed maybe that everyone else should know about from the past week in, in French football? Um. I mean, going back to, to the games this weekend, and it feels slightly bad mentioning it just because we've just been talking about Lyon, but I I liked um, Gazal and Ngi's um, contributions to, to their team's points this week. Um, both of them have been maligned by their f- well former and current clubs. Gazal has had a lot of stick from Lyon fans, a lot of it arguably deserved. And G has had a hell of a lot of stick from Marseille fans. Personally, I think mostly completely undeserved. But he's had a great start to the season and scored another lovely goal this weekend. And Gazelle's passed to, I think, a lot a lot of us raised eyebrows when Monaco sort of um, got rid of Sam Aximat and brought Gazelle in instead. But, you know, it's hard to question Monaco's recruitment of the last couple of years. And and um, Jardim's ability to get the best out of players. And if this weekend's anything to go by, I thought Gazar had a great cameo and he came on and his pass to Falcao for, for the winner when surprisingly they were struggling to break Mets down was, I thought, a, a peach. It was a lovely pass. So you know, just to give them both a little bit of credit, which neither of them have had recently. 
Mm. And it's not well, yeah, like you say, they were a little bit maybe maligned at Leon, but it's nice to see G especially getting uh, himself back into form after that poor spell at, at Tottenham. And Gazelle, although he wanted a sort of bigger move and to play more regular first team football, it's, it can't argue with the move to Monaco either. Um, Rich, what are your snapshot this week? Um, it's uh, it's Lille and, and primarily Marcelo Bielsa. Um, we we talked about what a you know great win it was in the first game, three 0 over Nantes. How well this new team of so many um, newly brought in players sort of seemingly gelled straight away. Um, last two games, complete opposite. Um, it's now looking a slightly foolish decision maybe to have brought in so many new players um, to have got rid of so many experienced players with the, with the classic Bielsa you're being frozen out I don't want you anymore um, when you look at the list of players he's 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 done that to to, to uh, at Lille over the summer it just begs a question of has has all this been the wisest of moves um, you know, they looked like a team of strangers um, in their loss at home to Khan. It was a silly red card in the game before, which cost them um, dearly uh, against Strasbourg. And I just wonder at what point does someone have to sit down to Bielsa and say, you know, you've, you've been a bit gung-ho in your decisions. It's it's costing costing us form, it's costing us points. And of course, whenever, with, whenever you're talking about Bielsa, at what point does he decide he's had enough, pack up his bags, pack up his toys and head off into the sunset. So I think there's um, there's still a lot of work to be done in this new new Lille project. Yeah, it wouldn't be a loco if he didn't do something a little bit crazy every so often. But like you say, the, the reports that possibly Nicola de Prevo might be joining Ren as well still relatively prevalent and the striker left out of the starting lineup at the weekend Alarm bells are ringing. He's their top scorer last season. They've not really brought in much to replace him. They started Pepe there, and uh, much like Jez, I'm not convinced he's necessarily the £15 million man that everyone seemed to think he was, but tough times sometimes. The, a lot of these young players coming in at the same time, it's very, very difficult, really. I, I'm going to go with a couple of things for my sh- snapshots, and I've gone for one good, one bad, let's say. Um, the bad one I'll start with was at Marseille, and... I've never been really the biggest fan of Lucas Acampos, and he maybe give himself a, a stay of execution from his performance the previous week. But why does he keep playing for Marseille? I, I, he wasn't great in Italy, from all accounts, from what I've heard and, and from numerous places. Uh, he was not great at the weekend again, and he caps it off with a with a stupid foul that he's absolutely in the wrong about, and he he's going at the referee you'd like. It might even be another band he was there for so long trying to shout and scream at the referee and push past. It was an awful challenge and a late one and it was high and it was not pretty at all against an Andre side that probably deserved the point all in after after all their performance. They worked really hard for it and I can't understand why they keep forcing that kind of player. And the, the switches that Rudy Garcia made, again, I, I just don't get why they keep trying out different formations and different teams. Yes, they've got a good important Europa League qualifier coming up but I just don't get why you would keep Germain off it although G's been impressive I don't get why you would move like Maxime Lopez off for, for the time being again Anguissa's been good at the uh, at the uh, 
Confederations Cup in the summer, but I'm just not convinced. Same with playing, um, excuse me, not playing um, Sakai as well. It, it didn't make much sense to me. They probably really didn't deserve that. And I worry that maybe if they do get into the Europa League group stages, have they got a deep enough squad from that kind of example? They're going to be tested, I think, um, especially if they want to push for Champions League football, that is. My positive one is another Claudio Ranieri update. Um, it was probably the first week that a manager's not complimented him how beautiful football he played and how wonderful he is as a man. Um, but that didn't matter because they got a 1-0 victory at Troyes, despite the, despite the red card, despite maybe a relatively miserable display and an Emiliano Slala popping up right late on to, to nick the victory. But he's off the mark now. That's monkeys off his back. He's got some interesting new signings like uh, Yasin El Ganassi will be quite nice to see. Um, hopefully this could be the start of something at least better than it was for the first couple of weeks for the Italian and let's hope it is for him anyway. We'll finish this evening with a couple of um, our viewers' questions. We've only got a few this evening. We'll start with uh, one from our very good friend, Chris Carpenter. He says, evening all, my question is simple. I'll send this to you first, Jez. Um, if Mbappe is sold to PSG or anyone else, do Fabinho and Lamar, those kind of players, the big names that we know, do they then become keen to push for an exit this window i think it's it's a little bit circular isn't it because i think the the more players who leave the more monaco are going to want the ones still there to stay but possibly the more they're going to want to to move um i think fabinho's made it clear that he wants to leave whether mbappe goes or not so i wouldn't be surprised if if that still happens before the end of the window but um you know to be fair to him, and until that happens, he's been, you know, he's doing his usual very sterling job in the midfield. Um, unlike Mbappe, who you know, is a kid after all, but by all accounts is clearly a bit unsettled by by all the rumours. Um, and Lamar, you know, obviously you're not going to get a single bad word about Lamar from Neil Rich, but. I think he's a good boy and he'll do whatever he's told to make sure everyone's happy. And I think probably, I think he's probably a little bit like Lacazette has been the last couple of years. He'd be happy to move, but at the same time, he'd be happy to stay. So I reckon they could probably, unless they get a crazy offer for him, which I don't think they're getting, I think he'll probably stay for another year. Rich, what do you think? If one of these more more of these big players move on, like an Mbappe, do, do some more of the chips fall? Um, I think we're in a position. Well, we're constantly in a position with Monaco that they don't have to sell. I think that's the first position that we always have to remember with Monaco is they never, at the moment anyway, have to sell these players. They're only selling them if they get those crazy offers. You know, if if Man City hadn't offered fifty mil plus to for, for for Mendy, he wouldn't have gone. Simple as that. They didn't don't need to sell him. They've got a number that they want to sell him for. If a team wants to offer that, great, we'll sell him. I think that's that's the position they're gonna they've they well that's the position they put themselves in with Fabinho with Lamar with Mbappe. It's slightly different. It's this ballpark now of they've gone in. I think in the, with the summer of we want him to stay. We want another season out of him. He'd initially expressed that desire to stay, but all of a sudden, we're now hit three-figure, well, millions um, for transfers. And, of course, then the Neymar transfer won't have helped the situation now. 
it seems to have unleashed this array of hundreds of millions now being offered for players. So that ballpark for Mbappe has slightly changed because now seeing actually play our cards right, you know, he's seemingly now got second thoughts about whether he wants to stay. You know, we can push him for the region of, you know, 140, 160, 180, maybe even 200 for a player who's had one good season. So I think with the likes of Fabinho, with the likes of Lamar, Monaco have been very, very clear, I think, all summer. We'd like them to stay. We want them to stay. Here's a figure. If you want to pay that, let's talk. At the minute, it doesn't seem like those clubs who are, are linked with those players have made um, made those offers. So uh, for, from Monaco's perspective, no offers at that, that, that value, no go. Mbappe, slightly different. Um, I don't particularly see that result in Fabinho and Lamar going. As Jess said, Fabinho seems to want to go more vocally than any of the other players, but uh, I'm, I'm fairly happy and fairly confident in Mon- Monaco's ability to do what's best for their club. Go get my Fabinho, Manchester United, please. It's, <laughs> it's everything I've campaigned for or something, never mind. Um, another question, we'll go from this one from uh, Rex Mitter. Um, who is the youngster of the season so far? It's very early on to say this, but who's impressed you maybe might be the best way of saying from, from let's say, an under-21s point of view so far this season at least. I'll start with you, Rich. Oh, that is putting me on the spot. Yes. <laughs> um, I've been impressed. Um, uh, does he fall in the he fall in the under twenty one role? Uh, Francois Camino, Bordeaux. Yeah, he's twenty one. Um, I think he just just falls in the category. Um, been impressed with him. I think we saw glimpses last season um, of what he can offer. We also saw glimpses of his. Uh, uh, sort of fiery side that perhaps he learnt in uh, with his time at, at Bastia. But I think this season he started off uh, strongly. Um, you know, he seems to be a bit more of a, a, a team player this season. Um, so for me, it's tough after only three games, but I'd probably pick him. Um, go for you, uh, Jez. Uh, God, I'm struggling to to think. I mean, just based on this season, it's difficult to based on preseason. <laughs> get you, get I, us right. I would have said. I mean, he's very young, but um, Guiri at Lyon, he had a great um, European Championships. I can't remember what age group because I think it was actually either under 18 or under 17. France didn't actually get that far, but I think he scored nine goals in four or five matches and and impressed when he when he played for for Lyon in their preseason as well um i'm not sure he's going to get too many chances in the first team this year but just the fact that someone so young is already sort of in and around the first team i think um i think he's going to be a big name in a year or two yeah um perfect squad yeah, to be in <laughs> perfect squad to be in really with Lyon isn't it they're just you know they still churn out these these brilliant youngsters you know there's him there's Malida, there's Owa there's a few of them again who are who are ready to come into the first team and and you get the impression that they they won't be overawed that they'll they'll be able to to 
you know, do what Fekir and Tolisso and Gonalons and Tuzar didn't come from the youth team, but um, do what all these players have done um, the last few years and, and just, you know, keep that, that great reputation of the youth academy there going. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with someone we've already briefly touched upon, and that's uh, Diouise of uh, Saint-Étienne. He, he's really impressed me. I did a nice balance that Saint-Étienne midfield. I've not heard enormous amount of him. Still a teenager from Empoli originally. Well, was bought from there in the summer. I've not really heard an enormous amount from the any Italian media about him, but he's added a nice cushion to that. The say the consistent defensive style of Selness and the maybe more offensive side of Darbo. He's just filled in that hole that you desperately need in those kind of three-man midfields. And I think he could be a really interesting player in another two years. I won't. I won't be surprised if someone much much bigger on the sort of Champions League level doesn't try and sneak someone that those kind of players can be really rare to get when a lot of teams want to play that 4-3-3 kind of style as well. Um, another question then. So let's look at this one from uh, Simon Quire. Um I'll give you this one, Rich, because it starts with Ren. Do they need a new goalkeeper and a striker? And if so, who would you be going for? Um, I do think they need a new goalkeeper for starters. Um with Costille gone over the summer, they've given the uh, first choice position to uh, Abdullahi Diallo. Uh, he's not had the best of starts. Um, certainly, an error in the, uh, the game against Lyon led to the Depay, the Depay free kick. Didn't cover himself in glory there. Stupidly, though, Ren have shot themselves in the foot because the keeper that they should be bringing should have brought in this season was the keeper they mucked around last season, and that was Paul Nardi. Um, brought him in on loan last season because they all thought that Costil was going. Costil didn't go. Nardi didn't get a game. Loan cut short. He's now playing in um, uh, in Belgium. So he's the he's the goalkeeper that Ren should have should have been loaning this season. They've then missed the boat, I think, on a couple of other other goalkeepers that they were linked with, uh, Benjamin Lecomte, uh, Baptiste Reine, uh, I think they were even linked with um, Thomas Didion of, of Mets, but I don't think, you know, all three of them, Lecomte has moved, Reine signed a new contract, doesn't look like Didion's going, so I really don't know where the goalkeeper comes from, um, but they they need one, Then <laughs> I think they, they, they need to look at, at bringing a, a new goalkeeper in, and certainly a striker. They really do need a striker. CO was sold in the summer. Um, not missed by too many Ren fans, but De Preville is obviously a player that they've been heavily linked with for some time now. Rumoured to be involved in a potential swap deal with Ben Sabaini. If Ben Sabaini is going to continually be played at left-back, I'd take that deal. Blink of an eye, I'd be taking that deal. Um, so You take it as a Ren fan or if you were Ben Sabaini? Uh, both. Okay. <laughs> if I was both, um, I don't think he wants to play left back. He's being played left back. He's not a left back. Quite simple, really. But Christian Gulkuf obviously sees something that uh, fans and the player himself doesn't see. So uh, we shall see. But th- yeah, Dipperville would be a would be a handy addition. I wish we'd have gone more heavily in for the law last season when it was is clear that he wanted to come back to France. Um, he would have been a perfect, perfect foil for us to have now. But 
alas, with Ren, it's what we could have done, not what we did do. Yeah, and same with him, possibly even Lois Dione as well in those sweepstakes. He didn't go for an enormous amount in the summer at the end, but it's strange that Santetian were pretty easy in getting him. Jez, is there anyone else you would throw into the fire there of joining Ren in the, either the goalkeeping ranks or up front? And, and do they need players there? Um, I think I think they do need a keeper. I think Diallo has been a sort of solid, reliable reserve keeper, but I'm not sure he's the, he's the type that sort of reassures the defence in front of him. And I mean, Rich sort of named the the main names that certainly Leconte and um, Rene were the the ones that were sort of banded around as being available during the summer. So I'm surprised they didn't make a bigger play for them. Um, Didion, to be honest, he he's his stock has fallen a bit with all the goals that Mess conceded last year that weren't necessarily his fault, but I think there was a sort of a knock-on effect on his confidence. Um, I mean, you know, Pele had a brilliant year for Marseille and through no, no fault of his own has now been relegated to a reserve keeper. So, you know, he's possibly someone that might have been worth uh, inquiring about. Um, but yeah, I do think that's a position they need strengthening. And then up front, well, I haven't seen him. I don't know what Rich thinks of um, what's his name, Brandon, someone. Yeah, yeah, Brand, yeah Brandon. Yeah, Brandon Lamas. Um, Lamas. That's it. I knew it was a funny surname. <laughs> um, I yeah. So I haven't seen any of him. It's funny that Ren have had a really strong uh, transfer window, and we're talking about sort of two important positions down the spine where they're, where they're still lacking, but. I think De Preville's a superb player. I, I genuinely think Lille would have been relegated without him last year. And uh, I think if, if Ren can get him, whether in a swap deal or, or just straight buying him, I think that would be a, a really strong move for them. Yeah, it's nice to see another person in the De Preville fan club. Uh, it's £5 for admission and T-shirts are free at least anyway. <laughs> it's nice for you to join me here on my own. Um, final question, and maybe this is a cheeky one to ask you, Rich, but with the latest additions to the squad of Koulibaly, Garoto and El Ganassi, uh, Jan says on Twitter, uh, could not get a top eight finish again and above Ren? <laughs> top eight, no, above Ren. To be honest, it'd probably be a disappointing season for Nantes if they didn't. <laughs> um, the start Ren have made. Uh, um, should be the one. Ren should be the team squad wise. Ren should be the team. Thinking top eight is available, you know, is open for us. No, I, I don't know. Um, non, they're not. They're not a top eight side either. Um, if they'd have managed to keep hold of. Say sound, you know, they him last season. Um, I think the effect of him having said he was going to stay and this, that, and the other, and then at the 11th hour, okay, they brought in a big name, Yeah, but I, I don't know. I they, they chances are, yes, they probably will finish above Ren, but I think both teams will be looking at the end of the season thinking we probably should have. Yeah, Jez, Conte South sort of maxed out this not squad, so it's it's really important that they bring some kind of additions, especially losing um, Guillaume Gilet earlier this month as well. They desperately need a couple more names, don't they? I think so. I mean, I I I'm a fan. I'm, we're all members of the Ranieri fan club in terms of, as you said, what a lovely man he is. But to be honest, I've never, despite Leicester, despite everything, I've never been that convinced about him as a manager. And I, I think 
they could struggle this year with, with the with the team they've got. Um, you know, Cudi Bally they brought in is hardly a prolific goal scorer, so you know they're going to be again relying on Salah, which I'm not sure is a particularly strong position that you, that you want to be in. Um, and I think I don't think they're going to struggle in terms of relegation, but I can't see them matching where Conseil got them last year, and uh, Ren. Ren should finish well ahead of them, I think. I mean, Rich and I had a conversation recently, which I have to admit was completely born out of my bitterness about Saar joining Ren. But <laughs> I do, I do think Gorkuf has lost it a little bit in the last couple of years, and um, not only finishing in front of Nantes, but if Ren don't finish top eight, I, I think that's that's pretty poor showing for them with the, with the players they brought in. Yeah, I think me and Rich worked out from about week two that if you put us two in charge, we might be able to fix Rem, but uh, Korkov might be on borrowed time if results continue going that way. Uh, that's all for this week. My thanks to uh, Rich, Jez, and for all of you listening at home. Uh, join us for the preview show on Thursday, and the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week. Abianto, and goodbye. <laughs>